She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I know better than anybody how important it is for us to win this election because I see up close and personal what the Republicans and this president are doing. Under the Trump presidency, I think we're seeing that across America as the middle class is understanding that their values do go along with the Republican Party. Firefighters and public safety unions are the forgotten constituency of the Republican Party. Omarosa says that she has taped in the Oval Office and in the Situation Room. We've heard the tapes. And this is a national security issue. This is not just about a book anymore. She's giving receipts and she's now in trouble. And now, Stacey Washington. (laughs) I'm giggling because um, this to me is one of those stories that it's really reality TV worthy, but... How in the world did it happen that someone was allowed to slip their little selves into the Situation Room, which is a skiff, a secure, compartmentalized, something, something, something or other facility. It's, it's a place where you can't take anything that can record or take pictures. It's a place where you can't take anything that's unsecure. So even phones that, are, that have the, the utmost security aren't allowed in the skiff which we know it happened before because there are pictures of President Obama looking pensive and, and you know, in, in the Situation Room, and they weren't taken by official White House photographers. So you know this breach has occurred before. Welcome to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, here on American Family Radio, AFR.net, and Urban Family Talk, urbanfamilytalk.com. Go ahead and type those into the search engine and go directly to them. Don't always wait on that uh, Facebook or Twitter referral traffic. We need those clicks to come directly to us, and we appreciate you guys, not just your ears, but your clicks. You're going to our websites and subscribing and being there with us. Thank you for that. Uh, So welcome to the show. Happy Monday. I survived. Guys, we dropped off the oldest at college this weekend. And, you know, I was praying. I was praying. I was praying. I was like, oh, my goodness, please, please, let's have this be orderly. And I can tell you. Many, many times, this is, this is one of those times where the Lord has gone above and beyond expectations, where we have this wonderful girl who is our daughter's roommate, and the family, they, they took early move-in. So at first, we were like, why would they move in early? I, you know me, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, why would they do that? What, what, did you know we could move in early? All this stuff. My husband was like, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. The, don't worry about it. Just let's, let's do this thing. Let's get there. We get there. And we go up to move in and she's got all of her stuff moved in. The roommate does. Everything is so neat and orderly. And because they moved in the day before, we were free to go in the five of us. You know how small those dorm rooms are and move in our daughter's things and set everything up. And then they showed up later and we stood around for about 30 minutes, all 10 of us in this tiny dorm room, just getting to know each other, sharing information. Um, They had a beautiful little whiteboard up that said welcome and our daughter's name. So it was just such a wonderful thing. But I'm still, I feel like a steam truck rolled over me because all of the anticipation, the stress, the emotions, the dropping off, the packing in, the moving in, picking up an extra thing or two, and then driving back home. And then today's the last day of school before, or the last day of no school before the kids go back to school, the, the kids who are still here. And the strain, I feel this like invisible strain of, I went to her room last night and she cleaned it up and put all of her things, you know, teenager rooms are like clothing explosion. 
she everything is in her room like it's a hotel room. There, nothing is out of place. There's not a speck of dust anywhere. She just totally cleaned it up. And the bathroom too. So I walked there. I looked in. I'm like, oh my goodness. So then I was like, well, this is this is as it should be. I have to send her a text and say thank you. Uh, so it was just, oh, friends, it's been a, a real weekend. And now here we are. And there's all this breaking news. Peter Strzok has been fired. Uh, Omarosa is continuing to drip, 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 drop the tapes. The president has tweeted his disdain and um, some interesting insights there, too, as well. I don't know if you guys saw the tweets, but um, the president basically said that when General Kelly came on board, Omarosa really had uh, kind of set herself up poorly there um, by missing meetings and not being there when she was supposed to be there and being difficult to work with. And he was ready. He said she doesn't she's not liked around here. We should we should let her go. And the president said, well, but she says good things about me. Now, I know a lot of people have kind of backlashed about that online, but I think what he meant was that she had the ability to go on to these national shows like she did with Joy Behar, and Joy Behar was calling the president racist, and Omarosa made good points on that program. That was still a stellar example of what to do as a media pundit when you're faced with someone who really, Joy Behar has the bully pulpit on The View, she has control of the audience through the cue card people, and she was setting Omarosa up for a fall, and she refused to have it. So I, I've complimented her on that performance here many, many times. But I think that was what the president was referring to. That being said, um, now there's speculation all over online. I mean, just I saw on three separate websites, liberals uh, asserting that the president probably has you know a weakness there because any foreign world leader who says nice things about him, he won't be able to treat them as they should be treated. I think that's a bit of a stretch. So welcome in. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with two fantastic guests. We have frequent guests to the program, an all-around star and perfect analysis always, Ariel Davidson of the Hoover Institution. And then hour two, we're going to speak to Reverend Robert Martin. He's the pastor of Hope Central Church in central LA. And so that's going to be a really great interview as well. Um, I, I just, lots of news. Let's move on to Nancy Pelosi. She was all over the shows this weekend. And I thought it was interesting that she had so many things to say that if you, if you think about them beforehand, cause people are always castigating the president for making comments and they're like, Oh, that was a gaffe or, Oh, he could have thought that through better. I mean, I, I've, I've criticized him in that way occasionally. Um, but Nancy Pelosi just gets away with murder. She said, among other things this weekend, that the Democrats should just say whatever they need to say to win and sort things out later. And um, she thinks that NBC, one of their chief priorities as a media organization, is to prevent her or undermine her prospects of becoming speaker when the Democrats take back the House in the fall. Now, I, I said a couple of times, if Democrats take back the majority, you said when Democrats take yeah. back the majority. If the Democrats do take back the majority, they will be in need of a speaker. There we go. And you are, the, you are the, the focal point of that discussion because you were Speaker of the House when Democrats took back control in, um, officially in 2007. Um, now, though, NBC News has a story about uh, all the, the Democrats who are running, who are running for election this year. Um, they interviewed, you, you see it there, Democrats opposing Pelosi. And these are the 51 people who were surveyed who are candidates. 42 of them are not Democratic nominees. Nine of them are incumbents who have said that they will not support you 
in the run for speaker. Um, well, let why, me just well, say first. Well, why, well, one, I mean, why not, if the Democrats take back the House, give up the gavel? Well, first of all, uh, let me just say this, and I know NBC leaders. has been on a jag of this. This is one of their priorities to undermine my prospects as Speaker. But putting that aside, the, I have not asked one person for a vote. I haven't asked a candidate or an incumbent for a vote. So she hasn't asked anyone for a vote, and um, I wouldn't if I were her because most of the younger members are looking for someone different to be the Speaker, and they feel like she's not radical enough, which is... I mean, if you something scary is them not thinking she's radical enough. Nancy Pelosi is plenty radical. But if you're a Bernie Sanders Democrat, then, whoa, you know, you you're you're looking for something even a little bit stronger than that. You're looking for some, you know, 180 proof, something that you can't have a whole uh, shot glass of. You need like a quarter of a shot glass. That's that's some strong, strong, strong leftism they're looking for. And Nancy Pelosi has been. Uh, kind of a voice of reason when Maxine Waters has gone too far past the bend. And they don't want that. They want they want to go past the bend. They want resistance level type stuff from their leadership. And uh, speaking of that, Ellison. So, you know, he's up for election. Keith Ellison, he's a Muslim member of the House. He's he's I mean, he's pretty radical and he's been a really close friend of uh, Farrakhan and just advocates for some of the most ridiculous things. Well, now it's come out that a previous relationship that he had with a woman, uh, there's allegations of abuse. Now he's denying it vehemently, but apparently there may possibly be an, in addition to text messages and, and, and emails that were exchanged on phones and computers and, and records of that. Apparently there's a video of him dragging a woman, um, you know, across a room and, and down some stairs or something like that by her hair. And I think those are things that would, at least the video, would would preclude him from getting office just because people aren't going to vote him in. So that was like breaking news from the weekend. Um, so then on top of Nancy Pelosi's junket around the world and her just kind of, she's got to get out there now and she's got to start tamping down this uh this it's like a movement a groundswell against her and she wants to stay in power and so in order to do that you know making her rounds around the shows touting her fundraising abilities talking about how the republicans are afraid of her she's she said that many times over the weekend and then that brings us to some policies that have been brought about by the left wing of of american politics and that is this idea that People who are mentally ill and suffering from body dysmorphia have the right to shower when they're biological males with women. So the story that I'm going to share with you um, is about this lady who, first of all, her, her history is, and, and her history is important here because it gives you a, a peek into her mindset. But this, I, I believe a lot of us women have this mindset, which is we don't want to be changing clothes in front of a man. And it doesn't matter if it's your son or one of your son's friends or a stranger or your neighbor across the street. If it's a man, you don't want to change clothes in front of that person. If people don't feel like that, that's their business. But I'm talking about I've never met a woman who was like, oh, yeah, I'll change in front of anybody. I've never met a woman who believe like never. That's just not chicks. That's not the way we roll. So we've got this lady. Um, and back in 1997, she was jogging, at, you know, along a, a pathway and a man jumped out. And 
tried to wrestle her to the ground and assault her. She fought him off and ran for her life. And she was bruised and cut with evidence. She went to the police, the 911 trained dogs searched the area. Helicopters came in. Um, they weren't able to find the man, but suffice it to say, it's a documented case of her being assaulted, but it, you know, she was able to get away. So now let's fast forward to this year. She's a member of Planet Fitness and she goes to Planet Fitness so she can, you know, obviously she's there to work out. She's working out. She's got her things in the locker room where she changed into her workout gear. She's completed her workout. She goes back to change. And there is a man standing in the bathroom connected to the locker room and he's putting on makeup in the mirror. Okay, just in case you're just tuning in, Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on AFR and Urban Family. There's a man in the dressing room area of the locker room, the, you know, the big open area where the bathroom stalls are on one side and there's just benches for you to change and the lockers are like along the wall. She sees the man standing there. He's putting on makeup and she goes back outside and checks to see if she's in the right locker room. She is the same one where she put her clothes. So then she says, what are you doing here? Um, you're a man and this is the ladies changing room. And he says... Nothing. He does not reply to her, just continues to apply the makeup. She goes to the manager and the manager says, oh, yeah, we know about him. He identifies as a woman, so he gets to change in there. She said, you know what you should do? You should just wait until he's done putting on his makeup and then you can go in. So she waits for almost an hour for this man to stop putting on makeup in the women's changing room and locker room so she can go put her clothes back on. Well, now she goes back in and says, it's been almost an hour. You've been putting on makeup. How much longer are you going to be in here? Cause I want to change my clothes. He doesn't say anything. So then she says, I don't feel comfortable changing in front of you. So I need you to finish up so I can change. He doesn't move. He keeps on putting on the makeup. So then she's standing there trying to figure out what to do. And the employee of the, uh, you know, planet fitness, one of them comes in and says, Hey, look, you got to go. She says, why? Well, because you're harassing this, this transgender person and we want you to leave. Get your things and go. They revoke her membership. And then the transgender guy reports to one of these LGBT ETC organizations online that she has harassed him and that she, she's, she's transphobic. Now, she's obviously banned from all of the Planet Fitness facilities, all 66 of them across the country, and she's lost her membership while this guy's running around acting like he's the victim. I'm going to tell you who's responsible for all that when we get back. Oh, and we'll have Ariel Davidson. Stay there. of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Michael Barone asks a troubling question. Why is it considered liberal to compel others to say or fund things they don't believe? He raises this question in light of the three Supreme Court decisions that struck down compelled speech. He wonders why liberals on the court and progressives in society aren't disturbed by attempts to compel speech. In the past, liberal justices like Oliver Wendell Holmes supported free speech and freedom of association. Today, liberal Supreme Court justices don't see a constitutional problem with compelling crisis pregnancy centers to send messages they find repugnant or forcing people to participate in ceremonies prohibited by their religion. David French is concerned that liberals don't understand why conscience is so important to Christians. He mentions two articles that lament the fact that Catholic hospitals have restrictions. He has seen this before in other contexts. The secular society essentially says, we appreciate you feeding, housing, and caring for the poor, but you must do it by advancing the worldview we prefer. If you don't, we will pass laws that violate your conscience. We'll call you bigots and misogynists when you resist. He uses an analogy to illustrate how liberals and progressives misunderstand religious faith. He says it's almost like some people believe a religious worldview is like a Jenga tower. You can pull out a few planks without causing a whole edifice to collapse. For critics of religion, they see any religious belief based on conscience as disposable if it contradicts the current politically correct view in society. These narrow Supreme Court rulings, as well as articles complaining about Catholic hospitals that hold to Catholic doctrine, illustrate why it is so important that the right judges and justices are nominated and confirmed to the federal courts. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. At, find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com, at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. And right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Arielle Davidson of the Hoover Institute. She is a um, frequent guest of the program, and we're really glad to have her on today. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I know. I've, I'm excited to speak to you. I know you're, you're a contributor to The Federalist and townhall.com. And right now, um, there's a piece over at thefederalist.com about... Ben Shapiro. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So actually, Ben Shapiro recently did an interview with Guy Benson on one of Fox Radio's uh, station show called Benson and Hearth. And he discussed at length the Never Trump movement, where it stands as of now in 2018, and where it could possibly go in 2020. And what, he, what really struck a chord with me is he made two major points. He talked about how he was much more apt built for Trump in 2020, and the fact that he thought primarying Trump was or would be a big mistake. And, you know, it's interesting because Ben Shapiro throughout the 2016 election was very much a never-Trumper. Um, you know, he was vocal on his, podcast, his daily podcast discussing how he was voting for neither Hillary nor Trump, but he did express an understanding for those who had decided to vote for Trump for a host of different reasons. Um, you know, he really was sympathetic to 
the notion of voting for Trump, even if you, you know, weren't as enthused with him as a person, but, you know, saw it as a last hope against preventing Hillary from becoming president. So these were all things he was highly aware of. And I think what, you know, like I said, what struck a chord with me is that he said he himself was much, would be much more likely to vote for Trump in 2020 due to the conservative track record that Trump has had up to this point and how, you know, from a policy standpoint, he's done much better than many had anticipated. So he's actually, he's walking it back a little bit. And he's he's leveled some pretty tough criticism at the president since uh, since he was inaugurated. And he's he's never pulled any punches. But at this point, it sounds like he's saying he doesn't see a viable out, option out there to primary the president. And he thinks that on this trajectory, he's actually going to be pretty successful and, and could be the president for four more years after the first four. Yeah, and I think, you know, he made two big points, One of, in addition to that, one of them being, that, you know, as the left moves further left and as they take this more progressive um, agenda and this more progressive direction and sort of move away from um, the establishment of the Democratic Party, we're starting to see more and more radical candidates pop up, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York's 14th district. Um, you know, we're seeing lots of candidates that have more of a socialist tinge to them. And if that's the alternative to Trump, then, you know, he's basically saying there's just no way you can not vote for Trump. Um, if that's, you know, if that's the alternative, now, not necessarily for him, but for voters in general, when they see those two options, they might be more inclined to vote for Trump just on the basis that, you know, what the left is putting forth is so radical or could be so radical. Yeah. I mean, I think what what people are are starting to notice is what... For me, I, what I said all along during the election, electoral cycle the last time was that, you know, obviously I was I was a Ben Carson person. Right. I, that, that's who I yeah. thought would 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 actually make it through the primary. And when he didn't. And it, I so he was eliminated. And then I went to Ted Cruz because I felt and I still do think he was the smartest one and, you know, highest IQ, uh, most yeah, knowledge of the Constitution. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Ted Cruz, in my opinion, would have been the next viable option, but he didn't win the contest for the primary. It was Donald Trump. And I remember immediately stating, you know, on my private social media who I would be supporting, which was the nominee once that occurred. And and so, you know, looking back, my my evolution to where I ended up being during that cycle it was a no brainer for me because of, of who he was running against and things have only gotten worse since then. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been had Hillary Clinton been the president, but if you look at the direction things have taken, I was just sharing in the segment before you joined us about this lady who she's working out at the planet fitness and she's just minding her own business, you know, just working out. She's already changed. She's goes back to change back into her, you know, original outfit. And there's a man in there. He's he's dressed like a man, but he's putting on makeup on his face. He says he is transgendered. He's he's, you know, living as a woman or or he identifies as a woman that day. And she's the one who got kicked out of plan, uh, Planet Fitness. She's the one who got banned from all 66 of their stateside locations and written about in a, you know, an LGBT newsletter about how she's just this horrible person for attacking a transgender when all she wanted to do was change clothes. She never said he couldn't be there at all. She said, I'd like to change clothes in private. So when you're done putting on your makeup, if you could leave so I could change, that'd be great. Waited around an hour. 
Now, that might be one of those situations where, um, you know, it, someone would say that's a one-off, but these stories are happening all over the country with, and, and we don't see any pushback from people who are in the leadership of the Democratic Party saying, no, no wait, that goes too far. People should be able to change privately. Instead, they're saying, no, you have no right to privacy. You have to let people stand in and be with you who are of the opposite sex because they're you know, they're claiming that there's something else and you have to honor that. It's as if we need to bow down to some, to this new ideology. And we don't have anyone on the left pushing back on that. There's no one saying this, this, okay, this is a bridge too far, which means it makes Donald Trump more viable as a, as a presidential candidate going forward, because he's not that it's not so much that he's the ideal. It's that he's not that. Right. And I think what you're what you're pointing out is exactly that, that there, there isn't someone there on the left saying that this is not normal behavior, that this is irrational. And, you know, it's interesting. You do have a few sort of red state Democrats um, who have, you know, at least done a little bit or made a little bit of effort to dissociate themselves from this radical uh, portion of the party. But you're right. I think this portion of the party tends to be the most vocal, tends to be the loudest, even if they're not numerically the majority. And I think that's going to end up hurting the Democrats um, when it comes to the 2018 midterms. I really do. I think that mentality is most certainly not conducive towards um, working towards a common goal, at least with the other side of the aisle. Um, it's just, and again, it's a form of radicalism that the Democrats have not done a very good job of reigning in. So speaking of something a little radical, <laughs> Ariel, <laughs> this news that's out um, about Omarosa getting an actual phone, a cell phone into the Situation Room in a meeting. She was in there to meet with John Kelly. He, unbeknownst to her, he brought her in to let her go. Well, she must have suspected something because she took a phone in and recorded the conversation. But um, it's it's a breach of the secure compartment. And I think a lot of people are wondering it, well, first of all, will she be prosecuted for that? I tend to say no because Hillary Clinton's still running around. But do you think they're going to change their procedures? You know, on on like I, I know I've been in the uh, Eisenhower Executive Office complex, and when I was there, there were certain rooms that we walked by that you needed a card to swipe to get in, and there would be a little tiny, looks like a little nightstand or end table out there, and it would just be piled high with cell phones. And I asked the White House staffer we were there with. What's that? She said, those are secure rooms. You can't take your cell phone in. But I was from like, I'm not a White House staffer. I was being escorted, but I was just walking around willy nilly, you know, under her supervision. And there's just piles of phones everywhere. So are you, do you think they're going to change their, their procedures or, you know? I mean, I wonder, I think what's, what's surprising to me is that Amarosa was even in the White House to begin with. I think, <laughs> you know, her, her hiring was pretty controversial and I do think that Trump had established a rapport with her prior to, you know, ever getting into politics. And so I was somewhat sympathetic to that. I think we all like to hire people we know. Mm -hmm. And Trump is someone that's, you know, supremely into loyalty in a lot of ways. You know, he's not he's not as much about, you know, uh, brute qualifications, but more just about, can I trust this person? Is this person on my side? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of why Amrosa was hired is because he liked her. And so it's kind of... It was weird to me to see that she was someone who really ended up having it out for him in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because she was hired based on loyalty, but to see her sort of break from that trend and be, 
you know, very much anti-Trump. I mean, she's really garnered a lot of fame from her recent media tour. If you notice, I think she's on um, the Today Show. I mean, she's really she's really milking this for more than what it's worth. I think it's going to end yeah. up being sort of a nothing burger in a lot of ways to bring up that term again. But, you know, again, I was just shocked because this is, she was hired based on her loyalty and now she's someone that's ended up being, you know, really much more anti-Trump than I think he would have ever anticipated. It's almost like she was a tool, right? So they had right. the relationship from before and that was the basis of the continuing relationship. And there was loyalty there because as she has said many times, he connected her to business opportunities that she otherwise wouldn't have had. And because of that, she was able to grow her business to go on many different other television shows and et cetera, et cetera. And it raised her public profile. But then when he brought her on to do political things, I remember there being a lot of back channel saying, well, I'm not sure how this is going to work because she's not a Republican, you know? So there were people who have been in politics for a long time who expressed concern privately that in representing the president on the Republican side, she wouldn't be adequate for the work because it's very difficult to be a Republican and a woman. And, you know, add on top of that, she's black. So there's this whole added layer of hostility that goes along with being a black conservative and, and, you know, working in Republican politics. But then she went on The View and she went on a number of different media outlets and she was a very strong defender of the president and his policies during the campaign. But I was just as shocked as you to see her actually make it into the White House, like into the West (laughs) Wing. You know what I mean? Like I could see her working in one of the agencies. Yeah, not not in the White House, but like, you know, somewhere else outside of the actual White House, I thought. But she made it actually into the West Wing where she had access to the president. And I thought to myself, well, this could go so fantastic or it could go so badly and then I didn't think about it again I had her on the show twice I mean I I was taking her at face value just hoping it would go well it has gone so wrong now but Ariel let's let's be real here you know we we both work we both know how it is you need people you need to not burn your bridges you need references how does she get hired anywhere else after this book tour is over no, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I remember watching her when she was on The Apprentice. I was a big, faithful watcher of The Me Apprentice, too. the reality <laughs> TV show uh, that Trump basically ran and he was picking somebody to work with him. I mean, she, I remember, and she was a, she was a flamethrower. I mean, yeah. she really, truly, she's had this personality for years, going approaching decades. And so this was, this shouldn't have been a shocker. But, you know, I, I question where she goes after this. I do think that you can make a lot of money by being part of the resistance or by being anti-Trump or being critical of Trump. I think we've seen it both within the political sphere. We've seen it within the media sphere. We've seen it just, you know, in everyday life that there's some financial gain to be had from being oppositional to the president. I do believe that that's become the chic, the vogue thing within certain circles. And, you know, there are people like Amrosa who are willing to capitalize on that. I really think she sees this as a business opportunity. Sure. But I mean, I guess for me, if if I were on the left and she all of a sudden just flipped from because some of the questions they're asking her are really the core of the whole thing. You know, 93 minutes of airtime on NBC, ABC and CBS um, for Omarosa's new book, 93 minutes. They they gave barely 24 seconds to the return of the remains of um, the, the, you know, soldiers that we had left in, in North Korea. 
barely 24 seconds to announce the return of those remains, but 93 minutes for Omarosa. I just have to say, I, I would not trust her. The question that I've heard asked is, um, well, if you if he said the N word or if he was a racist, why did why did you defend him? Why? And she said, well, I was used. Why why yeah, you work for someone like that. If you really I would felt have. that this was their personality and this is, you know, there's something inherently wrong with them, such as being yeah. a racist, why would you work for them, right? And, I mean, and, and for years, like she not only worked with him for a year at the White House, but before that, she worked with right. him on and off for 15 years and was seen with right. him in public, seen at Trump Tower. If If he'd used that word and it wasn't immediately recanted and, and an apology made, you know, to everyone in the room who heard it. Um, and I, I didn't feel it was sincere. Then there's no way I could continue on, you know, almost two decades. And that's, that's his demeanor. Cause if, if he, if she heard it once, it means she heard racial slurs more than once. Cause you're not, you're not just going to hear it one time. You're going to hear it on multiple occasions with someone who's comfortable enough to let you hear it the one time. And she, so I don't believe her that she heard that. Because if she heard it, then who else was in the room who heard it also? There should be someone to corroborate. It's just kind of unbelievable that, because she lacks credibility here, that she's been given so much media time. Well, I mean, we saw it with uh, all the, the books and the articles and the way the media has portrayed Trump. You know, credibility seems to be lasting on the mind of politicos and pundits when it comes to reporting on Trump. You remember the Fire and Fury book? There hasn't, oh, yeah. there weren't, there wasn't a lot of fact checking that took place with that book. I mean, I've seen various articles. You and I have talked about this in the past. Articles that get published and the fact checking was just egregious, or you know, not really didn't actually take place. So, you know, this is a pattern of behavior when it comes to the media sort of seizing on little tidbits of information about Trump without corroborating it or without going through the necessary channels to determine if it's actually true or not. I mean, this is, a, again, a pattern of behavior. We've seen it time and time again. What it really is doing is it's um, worsening the credibility of crisis that the media is going through right now by choosing to give attention to someone whose story has not been confirmed. That is hugely problematic. It is. And what you just said, you know, take that, what Ariel just said, and put a cherry on top of it. And that's the complete, like, all over America, people are checking out of these shows because of what you just said exactly what you people are like what what do you mean and they're just letting it go um and the media doesn't seem to care thank you so much for coming on today um i will put your article in the in the uh live stream over at thefederalist.com great piece ariel davidson um thank you so much for joining the show always fun time thanks Stacey. all right talk to you again soon so We'll be back with more Stacey on the right, and we'll take your calls. If you'd like to call in, it's 866-963-2037. We'll be right back after this. One of the first steps to becoming a Christian is recognizing our sinful nature. What makes it so difficult is that we have selective vision when it comes to our own issues. It's easy for me to see your faults, but when it comes to seeing my own, then my eyesight automatically gets bad. One surefire way to measure new birth in Christ is by opened eyes and a clear vision. Sometimes we can pass between having sight and having no sight because we have fallen asleep to the needs around us, or our perspective on those things that are eternal is distorted. Whatever the case, there is nothing more dangerous than having blurred vision and still thinking that it's clear. Don't measure your vision by your own standards. 
It will be warped and distorted every time, but rather measure it by God's standards. God desires that our eyesight remains clear. So how is your eyesight today? With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Here's Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16. Read the FAQs and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Securing America. Most border agents speak fluent Spanish, but now Central California agents apprehend more Indian nationals than any group other than Mexicans. Here's Agent Justin Casterhone. It's a very common area for, for Indian nationals to be crossing. Why? Because it's a path of least resistance. The number of Indians apprehended in El Centro, a 70-mile stretch of border east of San Diego, soared from about a dozen in 2013 to over 3,000 so far this year. Why? Attorney Judy Wood, who's handled many Indian asylum cases, says Sikh men flee religious and political persecution, while women who marry outside their class or caste system fear assault. People who are untouchables, the lowest caste, are basically not allowed to participate fully in society. Agents say the Indian nationals typically pay a $25,000 smuggling fee compared to about eight grand for Central Americans. In El Centro, William Lajeunesse, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The guys putting on a show, likewise, for the city. Yeah, there's more people here this week than I think I've ever seen at a major championship. I don't know how many people have actually come through the gates. Um, St. Louis is a great sporting town. Um, they're very, very energetic. Oh, they've been un unbelievable. Uh, not only supportive, but um, just so positive you know they, they've they've been on they've been supportive of you know all my, my playing partners and myself um, these first three rounds and it's been a pleasure to play in front of them and it really has and um, you know hopefully we can come back soon welcome back to the program that was tiger woods making some comments about the fantastic fans in st louis uh they've been just literally a couple miles away from me here uh, doing the PGA Tour, and it, they've had record attendance, and the traffic has been snarled up. Uh, and I, I would normally be just so annoyed by that, but so much economic impact brought by all of the people from all over the country converging on St. Louis and staying in our hotels and eating in restaurants and uh, drive Uber and Lyft have just been outstanding, uh, picking the people up and taking them to the locations where they could get onto the charter buses to ride over to uh, the location. 
And it's been some really cool uh, jokes as well about how people who watch football, so football players need a rest while their fans need exercise. This is a joke. Do not Facebook message me. <laughs> while golfers uh, and their and their fans all get the same amount of exercise because they walk the course together. So I w- was listening to that joke and thinking, oh, how true. And I'm not a football fan. And, you know, obviously not every football fan needs exercise. But it was funny that they were kind of comparing them because I think the golfer golfers and their fans feel like they're, you know, really trim and physically fit. And from the pictures, I guess they are. So they've had a really good time here. And um I, I was glad to see it. You know, St. Louis gets so much bad press and bad news all the time nationally that it was nice to hear someone say something really great about the fans here in St. Louis. And I've seen a lot of great pictures online of people um, taking pictures in front of the 100th year of the PGA Tour and all of that. It's just been really fun. Um, so we were talking a little bit about this Planet Fitness customer. And uh, if you this is oh. Let, let, yeah, let's go to the phones, um, and we'll 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 carry on the discussion about this Planet Fitness customer, Keith from Michigan. Thanks for calling into the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Hey, uh, one thing that I've uh, before I go into my um, my talk is that I wanted to say thank you very much for your service. Thank you oh, for thank you. serving in the Air Force and. Uh, um, Pleasure to working with some other Air Force people in my past. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, my feeling uh, or something that I've observed is that people who are on the left, just this, the person that you were interviewing just a little while ago was talking about how people on the left are, um, I don't know, that in my opinion, it's like there's a frontable lobotomy that just happened. But it's um, they smell blood in the water. A lot of people on the extreme far left have seen that they've been successful in carrying on a false narrative dealing with Judge Roy Moore and being able to destroy his ability to get into the Senate by using false accusations of things that happened in the past that petered out to nothingness, to a nothing burger. As other people have said, is that <laughs> yeah. they figured, hey, if it worked with him, let's do it to anybody else that we wanted to destroy. So I think that's what is happening. It's a new tactic that is now being processed. You know, I, I got to say, Keith, it's it's not really new because remember they did the same thing to Herman Cain. Herman Cain would have been the president of the United States had it not been for all these allegations of groping of women and all of the women who came forward at the end. Remember, there was one new one a week until he finally you know, quit. Um, they were all seen at David Axelrod's condo in Chicago first. So they all of these women went and, you know, just an odd coincidence that they visited David Axelrod. Then they made allegations through Gloria Alred against uh, against Herman Cain. And then when it became too much for his family to handle the allegations and the, the destruction of his reputation, he stepped down, and then all of a sudden, the women didn't have any need to prosecute. They just all of a sudden felt fine about what happened to them. So I agree with you. It, it does tend to be a recurring theme. And it really what it does is it hurts the true victims of sexual assault and harassment who want to be heard. They feel less likely to come forward when false allegations are given credence because everyone 
you know, they, they tend to think, well, I won't be believed. Everyone will think I'm just joining in on a bandwagon or something or making things up, which is what is the problem. If, if you leave the allegations to the women who've actually been harmed, then you end up with, you know, a much truer picture. And then you, you can, you know, investigate and figure out what's true and, and try to go forward from there as we do with any other crime. Um, thank you so much for calling the show. Let's go to Daniel in North Carolina. Hey, thanks for calling in. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Welcome Hello? to the show. Oh, okay. I just had a comment about the Omarosa deal that you were talking about. I, I really don't think it's any coincidence that these she's leaking these tapes right before her book uh, debuts. And if you notice on the interview with NBC this morning, she kept she kept saying the name of her book. And mm-hmm. that, that's no coincidence. She's trying to drum up support for that. And uh, I think as far as her future employment, she can align with anybody on the left, and as long as she continues to bash Donald Trump, she will have a job. And the worst part about it is she claims to be a Christian, and I will let it go with that and let you comment. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for calling that. Um, yeah, so her husband is a pastor, and uh, wow. I, so I don't know him. I've, I've never seen anything of him online, like you know his like public speaking, things like that. He seems like he's much more of a private person besides being a pastor. I have no idea what's what what could possibly be going on there and how, what like in her conversation with him about bringing forward this this series of tapes and recordings and things like that, very dishonest dealing. Um, and I'm, I'm even yeah, Pierce Morgan is has made allegations that she offered, uh, you know, intimate favors to him to do some things um, to promote some of her work. So the, it's getting uglier and uglier the further it goes into it. I, I think you make a good point, though, that that she will have a place to work on the left. But I guess when I say, you know, who's going to hire her, I'm thinking of you. If you come out of a Republican administration and you've got a clean record where even if it was just a year, normally you can parlay that into a job at CNN or Fox News. You can definitely write a book. Um, you can definitely make a really good living afterwards. Working in the White House, that's an elite position to come from, and not very many Americans can offer that perspective. And you can even go work for a thick think tank. You can. Uh, there's so many things you can do. If you look at Condoleezza Rice's career, and obviously she has a stellar education and she was in the Ivy League, you know, that's her, her, she graduated from Ivy League school and she's been a professor at Ivy League schools as well as doing other work and, you know, kind of staying in politics just a tad too. But uh, interesting that, yeah, she'll have some place on the left, but I was actually talking about respectable work, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's, Sandy from Texas, thank you for calling into the show today. Hi, Stacy. This is my first time to ever hear your show, and I'm so delighted that you took my call. Oh, thank you. Thanks for calling in. Okay, so I have a question. Um, speaking back to when you were saying that you know somebody in the Democratic Party has got to be a decent human and stand up and say to the far-leaning left uh, people who are so radical in their party, you know, kind of rein them in and say, you know, we need to be decent now, you know, no more of this, you know, uh, trolling Republicans and, treat, you know, it's sort of like, you know, treat people as you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. My question is, who do you know of in the Democratic Party that would be willing to do that? Because whoever does it, 
is going to have their career ruined and they will be crucified because anybody who has the slightest bit of dissent with their far left ideology is just obliterated. So I can't think of anybody on the Democratic left that would be willing to sacrifice themselves to, to try and pull their party back to decency. Okay, so you make a good point there, Sandy. And I, I'll, I'll say this. Joe Lieberman has recently come out and said he feels like things are going too far. Another Democrat, I forget his name, is, is a House member, not really famous, said he feels like the party is being drugged to the left um, where people, most people associate the Democrats with abortion almost exclusively. And he said our party is more than support for abortion. In fact, that's very little of what most Democrats care about. Most care, Democrats care about uh, you know, health care and, you know, uh, good working wages and, and you know, fairness and things like that and, and economic prosperity for people at the bottom of the, the income scale. And I was thinking to myself, well, I can't remember the last time I heard a Democrat talk about, you know, those things in a way that makes sense to regular Americans. And it doesn't it also I just want to point out that it, it is supported by statistics. And some of the best work on that is Thomas Sowell has done some of the best work and research on how malleable our, it, we don't really have a class system, if you will, it's not a system, but if you look at where people fall on the economic ladder, we have the most mobility of any country on the face of the planet, where someone who's in poverty in this decade will be solidly in the middle class in the next decade, and by the third decade will be solidly, like when at the very top of the income bracket for middle class, meaning they're almost upper middle class. And when you look at it that way, then you understand that it's not that we have this permanent underclass. The underclass is constantly moving. Now, there are people in this country who were born into wealth and they stay wealthy, but the upper class and, and wealthiest people are also that group of people is constantly moving as well, people falling out of that upper income range. Um, and and so it's people are constantly moving around in this country and what they're able to attain. But traditionally speaking, the older you are in America, the more wealthy you have become over the years in comparison to where you started out. So that is something that is a hallmark of our meritocracy. And even when you factor in all that, you know, they say, well, women don't earn as much money. Blacks don't earn as much money. Hispanics don't earn as much, but still are able to make it into the middle and upper class. And, and that's where the rubber meets the road. And I tend to think as a Christian, I truly believe and I have operated this way that whatever barriers exist in what I can see, you know, permanent tan, woman, you know, all the other stuff that I have going on that I'm, that they're not my strong suits, that prayer overcomes all of that, prayer and hard work. So you have to work hard to overcome whatever your, you know, perceived limitations might be. And other people who have these built-in pluses where you might say, well, she's got this or he's got that, you know, he's a white man and as, as if white men never struggle. It's the, it's the biggest misnomer ever that white men are just walking around and they're all wealthy and they never struggle and they never get sick, never have anything bad happen to them. That is something that is, is promulgated by people who just aren't being honest. The fact is we all have struggles. We all have things that we're working to overcome. And I find that if I if I take it away from what I can see and do myself and just say, I'm going to work as hard as I can on this, I'm going to apply myself and I'm going to do my best and I'm doing this because I, I believe this is what God wants me to do and then pray over it. He takes over the rest when I stop trying to do it under my own power. I mean, it's honestly the minute I say, 
I'm just letting this go. I'm, I'm going to stop fretting over it. I'm going to stop thinking about it and just work as hard as I can and try to enjoy my life. And that's when I see movement. Not instantly. It's not like, because God is not here for our timing. We're here for his timing. But um, I, I think it's interesting that we have all of that going on. And I know there are others besides Joe Lieberman. Uh, there are, but you're right. There are, we saw last election cycle in 2015, actually, before the primary was over, there were a bunch of Democrats who were pro-life who were told by Nancy Pelosi and others, uh, Elizabeth Warren, that they had no place in the party, that the party couldn't really advocate for them or spend money on them because they were in the wrong place on what they call choice. That's pretty stunning. So um, I, I'm, I think it's disturbing because the Democrats that I know and, and I know quite a few Democrats. I know some that are on the activist left. I, I mean, and they are genuinely nice people with families, but they're activist leftists. And then I know Democrats who are church going and they love the Lord. And they're some of the sweetest people you would ever meet. They just, they vote with the Democrats. I cannot, I, I don't know how that works. I really don't. And they say to me, I don't know how you would vote with the Republicans when they're racists or when they don't care about the poor. I know that's not true, but that is the perception that these Christian Democrats have of where the, the place where I am. So, you know, I, I believe in, you know, in all things we pray and dedicate ourselves to seeking God's will and trying to be obedient because that's where the rubber meets the road and we're obedient. God is able to work in us and through us most when we are obedient and prayerfully fearful and wanting to do what he has for us to do. Um, you know, all politics aside, he's actually not going to say at the judgment seat, what political party were you? <laughs> That's not going to factor into it. It's going to be whether or not we knew what the Bible said and did that. So when we get back, we have hour two of this program. Same bat channel, same bat station. We'll be right back after this important news from One News Now. Stay there. Stay there. 